Where are my gardeners at? Who likes to garden? Like the garden, maybe you got a little flower garden, or maybe you've got like a like a like an urban like what, what's it's popular now called urban farms, where they're encouraging people to have a little urban farm, right? Maybe some fruit trees or some, some vegetables. You you've kind of expanded beyond flower gardens. Um, I'm going to be honest. I am not a gardener. Honestly, to be honest, like seriously, I don't get it. It's not relaxing for me. It's actually very stressful. The things that I plant, they die, and then you got to take care of them. And I'm always wondering, am I, is there too much water? Is there not enough water? Are they getting too much sun? Are they not getting enough sun? And I, I, do, I know there's a science to it, but I don't get it. I don't understand. Even like landscaping. I'm not, I'm not even a fan of landscaping. And, you know, the only way you can truly landscape, in my, in my opinion, is if you're using power tools. Now you're landscaping. Right, if I can bring in a, a skid steer or I can use something that's got now I'm landscaping. I grew up, I did not grow up into a family of gardeners or farmers. I, I grew up in, in a family of hunters and fishermen. And this is how I grew up. I grew up when I was young, you know, like 10, 11 years old, and I would go out into the, into the forest, and we would hunt little, little small animals. And some of you would probably think, oh, but they're so furry and cute, but they are also extremely tasty. And then when I got big enough, then, then I, you know, I, I graduated, so to speak, into, into big game hunting. But I always had one rule. One rule when it came to hunting. And I'm going to pass this along. You can take this rule. I think it's a good one. Do not hunt things that hunt you back. <laughs> my brother one time, my older brother, he called me and he's like, hey, I'm going bear hunting. Do you want to come? And I don't even think the words were out of his mouth. And I said, no. I don't hunt things that hunt me back. Because interestingly enough, with bears, you know, if you are tracking a bear and you, you see the, the evidence of them, they'll scratch the trees or they leave scat, which is poop. And, you know, you see their, 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 their footprints and you start following them. You're tracking a bear. Bears are very smart. Because what bears do is they, they realize, I'm being tracked and followed. And this is what they do. They go like this. And they loop back, and it's called double back. And now they are actually tracking you, and you don't realize they're tracking you because you think you're tracking them. But they're not really ahead of you. They're behind you. So my hard, fast rule on hunting is never to hunt things that hunt me back. Now today, you farmer gardeners, you will have an understanding about what I'm about to talk about today. Not in a, in a theoretical way, or not because, well, I understand, like, here how this works, but you understand because it's, you, you've experienced it. This is an experiential thing for you as you've worked in your garden or on your urban farm. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. God has, has established certain immutable laws. And what that means is, is unchanging. These are unchanging laws in the earth. They will never change. As much as you, you want to deny them or fight against them or believe it's not going to happen, winter is coming. I'm not happy about it. But that doesn't change that it's coming. I would prefer that it's always warm and that it's always hot. You know, somewhere, you know, low 90s consistently. <laughs> yes, Lord. You step outside your house and he, it just feels like he hugs you with heat and holds on to you. Oh, it warms it. That heat warms your spirit, man. That's what I'm talking about. 
But as much as I, I, I am not a winter person, even though I grew up in, in winter, I'm no longer a winter person. This is about as cold as, it, as, as, as I want to feel. I can't fight against it. These laws are actually, there are, there are, they are for our benefit. And then we, we need to learn to work within these laws. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to really stay just in one spot here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse number 6. But the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and the chapter before chapter 8 is this. Paul is encouraging and teaching the people in Corinth. Right? He writes a letter to the church in Corinth. That's why it's called the Corinthians. And he's encouraging them and teaching them in their giving towards Christians who are in Jerusalem. Now the Christians in Jerusalem at this time are experiencing extreme poverty. There's been a famine, there's been war, and they are struggling, and there's been persecution against the church. And so Paul is talking to them about receiving an offering that he might be able to collect and take to the people in Jerusalem so that they would have provisions, so they would have food, and they would have finances. So the direct context and application for us today is giving and giving of our finances. Now, this is not tithing. I talked about tithing last week. This is the giving of offerings, which happens after we have tithed. Okay? So Paul is teaching the Corinthian church to work within the law of seed time and harvest in the area of their finances. Because the application of this immutable law is not just in the natural, where we plant seeds and then we, you know, we water it, it grows, and then we harvest it. But the application of this law also works in our finances. It also works, you know, in our relationships. It also works in our spiritual lives, seed time, and harvest. So let's start reading in verse, uh, we'll read verses 6 and 7. It says, now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously that blessings may come to others will also reap generously and be blessed. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. The size of the harvest is directly proportional to the amount of seed that is sown. If I do not plant seeds, then I will not take in a harvest. If I plant just a little bit of seed, then I'm going to get a little bit of harvest. But if I sow a lot of seed, if I'm generous in my seed, then the Bible teaches us that we will have a generous harvest that we can participate in. If I do not give, then I should not expect to receive. The Passion Translation says it this way. The one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. See, the goal in giving is generosity. It's to give freely of the finances and wealth that Jesus has given to us and given to me. This is planting seed. Taking what God has blessed my life with and giving it away. And not just, not just giving it away and casually giving, but giving with an expectation of harvest. Because no, it would be absolutely ludicrous for a farmer to plant seed, work in their field, and not expect to take in a harvest. When the farmer plants seeds, they know within about four or five, maybe six months, they're going to be back out in their field and they're going to be bringing in the harvest. They plant the seed with an expectation of harvest. When I give, when I give of my finances and I'm generous, 
I am expecting to eventually see a harvest come back to me in my life. Because this is the law that God established. First I plant, and then I harvest. I take my offering of finances, whether I'm giving it here as we receive tithes and offerings here, whether I give here or whether I give to an individual that I know of that's, that's, that's in need and I'm helping to meet their needs or I give it to an outside organization. I'm, I'm being generous with what God has given me. I'm thanking as I'm giving. I am thanking him for the harvest that is coming back to me. I sow seed, which is I give of my finances with a faith-filled expectation of harvest. In verse 7, Paul writes that we should give as we have decided. See, when we give, I believe that we need to be intentional givers. Not just random givers, not occasional givers, but intentional givers. See, an intentional giver is someone that prays about their giving. Someone that hears from the Holy Spirit and then they give as they're directed. They have a plan. They've decided where they're giving. They've decided how much they're giving. And the plan flows out of a heart of generosity where I'm looking for ways that I can, that I can give. I'm looking for ways that I can be generous. When farmers work their field, they don't throw seed everywhere. They don't just walk out into the, into the field and they don't just like throw seed wherever. They, if you've noticed, they plant in rows. They plant, you know, it's in, in straight lines. There is, a, there is a plan. There's intentionality. There's purpose. They don't just throw it on any old soil. They throw it in good soil. They look for the good soil. They work the soil. So there is a plan in their planting. This is our example when we give. Give with a plan. Give with a purpose. Make your generosity, make your giving intentional and out of obedience to what Jesus is saying to you. What is Jesus saying to you about your finances and about giving and about generosity? See, you should never, never give out of obligation or religious duty. Forgiving is about the heart. God's not looking for you just to, just to give all your, all your money away and be upset about it. Right? He's giving. It's, he's after your heart. See, what good is it if I'm giving because I have to? Because I feel some sort of, of strange religious duty. Well, I'm in church, so I've got to give, and I might as well give. The, the, you know, the bag's going by, or the push pay thing's up on the screen, so I might as well participate. I might receive and, 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 and engage in the harvest that way, but Jesus doesn't have my heart. And Jesus isn't after your money, he's after your heart. That's really what he wants, he wants your heart. He wants us to give because in our giving we're partnering with him and what he's doing in the earth. See, if, if you've got a hard time giving, if you've got a hard time being generous, and it's, listen, it's okay. There are people that struggle with generosity. There are people that struggle in their giving. But I, what I would say to you is, what is it in your heart that's causing you to be reluctant to give? What is it in your heart that's causing you to be reluctant to engage God in generosity? And I would ask. See, when I find things in my life where I'm like, man, I, I don't want to do that. I'm, I, I'm, I, and there's this hesitancy, there's a reluctance to engage with God. Then I'll step back and I ask, Jesus, what is it in my heart that's causing me not to want to participate, not to want to engage? And then I, I listen for what he's saying. Because he knows all things. 
Right? God alone knows our heart. We don't even know what's inside our heart that's causing us to be like that. And so we ask, we invite him into that situation. We invite him into our hearts and we say, Jesus, what is this in me? And then we allow him to work in our heart. See, this, is, this doesn't just happen. Generosity for, for many people doesn't just happen. Now, there are some people that they are just generous from you know, from little children, they are just generous. They're always giving things away. They're always giving things away. And they're always, you know, in, engaged in generosity. But I think for many people, many people, they work at it. It takes effort and hard work when a farmer goes out and they plant their seed. It takes effort and it takes work for us to be generous, to allow Jesus into our heart, to transform our hearts and so that we can be generous people. I'd also say this. Never give out of manipulation. If you're in a situation and you feel like you are being manipulated or controlled or, or coerced to give, hold on to your wallet. Zip your purse shut. Right? Leave your phone in your pocket. Never give out of manipulation. Jesus will never manipulate you. Jesus will never coerce you. And Jesus will never trick you into giving. Take the time and pray into it. Right? Paul said, give as you have decided. This was a decision that they had made in advance. And so if you're in that situation and you are feeling like, I don't know, I feel like there's, a, there's pressure to give, there's pressure tactics, then you hold on to your finances and you, and you can like leave, pray about it. Jesus, should I have given there? And then if you're feeling yes after the fact, then okay, now you partner with, with him in that being obedience to what he's saying to do. But don't give out because you, don't, don't give out of religious obligation. Don't, don't give out of manipulation. Pray into it. And if you're still not sure, then ask somebody. We have all have to have people in our lives that we trust. This is wise counsel. Who do I trust that I could go to, that I could talk my situation through? I can talk this opportunity that came my way to give and to be generous, and that I can trust them to give me honest feedback of what they feel like Jesus is saying. See, when it comes to generosity and giving, Jesus wants us to experience the joy in generosity. Right? Paul writes that he loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is someone who's connected to the heart of Jesus and experiences his delight in their giving, in their generosity. That word cheerful in the, in the Greek language means merry. It means joyous. It means hilarious. The Passion Translation actually calls it this, hilarious generosity. I remember one time when, when our kids were little, Josiah was, I don't know, he was somewhere between the age of 10 and, and 12, some, somewhere I would, if I'm remembering correctly. And it was Christmas time. And we, this was the Christmas, we got Josiah his very first iPhone. And so we, we put it in the box, I activated, I, I did all the things, I activated, and then what I did, I put it in the box, we wrapped it and we put it underneath the tree, in and amongst all the gifts. And so Christmas morning came and the kids are opening their gifts and then I took out my phone and I opened up that little app that's that find my iPhone, right? And then I set the alarm off on Josiah's new phone. And so he's in and amongst the gifts and he's, he's opening things up and then there's this sound. You know that pinging sound? Ping, pinging. And he's like, 
looking around and he's very, like the look on his face is very confused. And Renee and I are laughing. This, this is awesome. And then we can see that the confusion, it turns to excitement. And then he starts diving into the gifts and he's looking for the one gift that's making the noise. Because by the noise, he already knows what it is. And we are having such joy and we are laughing. To, he gets it, he opens it up and he takes his joy and his excitement. That's hilarious generosity. That's what that looks like. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not just when we give gifts to loved ones and we watch them open it. But we can experience that, that hilarious generosity when we give to missions. Right? You give to missions and what you're doing is you are providing food for children. You are providing a shelter for families. You are providing for someone around the world to talk to people and teach people and reach them with the love of Jesus. And there should be joy in that. I'm not, mm, missions. You are literally changing someone's life with your finances. There should be joy in that. I believe that that's how God responds to us when he gives to us. Because our God is a generous God. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave. He's generous towards us. He is our provider. It's not just what he does. It's his name, Jehovah Jireh. Our God, our provider. And when he provides for us, I believe that he sits in the heavens and he laughs and he takes such joy as his provision to us creates joy and excitement in our lives. I challenge you, find that place of hilarious generosity, that feeling the heart of Jesus as you give. After the planting comes harvest. Let's look at verses, uh, verses 8 through 11. It says, And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you, so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in Him, and having an abundance for every good work and act of charity, as it is written and forever remains written, he, the benevolent and generous person scattered abroad, he gave to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. Paul is quoting Psalms chapter 112 and verse 9. He goes on, he says in verse 10, Now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply the, your seed for sowing, that is your resources, and increase the harvest of your righteousness, which shows itself in active goodness, kindness, and love. You will be enriched in every way, so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered through us is producing thanksgiving to God from those who benefit. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to be prosperous. The prosperity of God is provided to us through Jesus and his work on the cross. In the chapter before, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, Paul writes this. He says, though he, speaking of Jesus, was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, it's very important that we have an accurate understanding of what this actually means. What is Paul saying to us? What does it look like for us to be rich? What does it look like for us to be prosperous? See, we know that there is a wide, wide range of teaching on this. This goes from one end of the spectrum where, where people teach that we should not be earthly rich. We should be poor, but we should be rich in the spirit. 
We should have spiritual riches. Yes, we should have spiritual riches, but Paul is actually talking about money here. He is, this is not a, he's not spiritualizing this. Remember, I said chapters 8 and 9, Paul is teaching them about giving of finances. Then there's the other side of the spectrum where people believe that we should all be very, very rich, extremely wealthy because of Jesus. I don't see that lining up in the scripture either. Right? I believe that an accurate picture of biblical prosperity is having all sufficiency in everything so that we have an abundance for every good deed. That's what prosperity looks like. That's what it means to be biblically rich. Sufficiency does not mean self-sufficiency, where I'm, I'm just reliant on myself and my own, my own resources and my job. But it's rather sufficiency through the grace and the provision of Jesus. See, it's through Jesus that I have all of my needs met. It's through Jesus that I have everything that I need and want. We are not to be independent, but we are rather to be interdependent, relying on Jesus to meet our needs, and then taking what is left over and being generous with that, giving that. This is biblical prosperity. And when we experience biblical prosperity, we find ourselves in what I like to call the upward cycle of generosity. See, the upward cycle of generosity starts here. It starts with God giving to us first. Because any giving that we do is only in response to what he has already given to us. God gave first. And our giving is in response to that. So the, 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 the upward cycle of generosity starts as God gives to us. And then we, we give. We give to others. When we give to others, God brings increase back into our lives, into our giving. That's the, that's the harvest because we, we sowed seed. He brings harvest. That's increase. And then out of that increase, we give again. And then what does God do? He brings harvest back into our life. And then what do we do? We give again. And then God, God brings harvest back into our life. So there's this upward cycle of generosity that just continues to go on and on and on. And it will go on and on and on unless we close our hand. Once we close our hand and we take hold of the resources and the finances that God has put into our hands and we grab it, we refuse to, to let it go when we stop giving and we stop being generous, that's when the cycle stops. Because with a closed hand, God can neither put anything into it or take anything out of it. He can't, he can't guide us and direct us on where we should give because our hand is closed around our resources. See, when we are generous and we engage in giving over and above returning the tithe, God will supply, supply seed for you to sow. If I'm faithful to give, then God will give me more so that I can give more. Right, verse 10, Paul says that he multiplies my seed and increases the harvest. But he only does this if we sow the seed. See, if I want to receive in the harvest, then I have to participate in the planting. I can't harvest if I haven't planted. This is the way that it works. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. If I'm not satisfied with my harvest, then I need to reevaluate my planting. Right? I can't just sit here and be like, well, I didn't, I didn't get, I'm not, I'm not receiving anything from the Lord. Right? I think that's 100% inaccurate. If you have anything, you've received it from the Lord because it says in James, every good and perfect gift comes 
from above, from our Father of lights. But if I'm not, if I'm not happy with the harvest in my life, then I need to reevaluate my planting. Ask yourself a couple difficult questions. Am I returning the tithe? As I taught last week, right, generosity doesn't start until you return what's not yours. What's not yours is the tithe. That's God's. He said, that's mine. I'm giving it to you and I'm trusting you to give it back. Are you returning the tithe? And then the second question you have to ask yourself is, am, am I giving? Am I being generous? Like these are, these are questions between you and Jesus. These are not questions between you and me. You and Jesus ask these questions. Because if your answer is no to either one of these questions, then that's what's impacting your harvest. Listen, and generosity isn't measured by how much you give. There's this, there's this really awesome story in Luke chapter 21. We don't often like to think about this, but this is what's happening in Luke 21. Jesus is sitting in the temple and he's watching the offering box. At that time, there was, a, there was a chest or a box that the people would come and they would put their offering in. And there's Jesus sitting and he's watching everybody put their offering in. We don't like to think about this, that God is watching what we're doing and watching what we're giving. But here's Jesus and he's sitting with all of his disciples. And these rich people are coming and they're throwing lots of coins in, all kinds of gold and silver. And it's, it's kind of showy and Jesus is just watching. And then there's this little widow, old widow woman, this poor lady. She crosses the temple floor, and she's almost unnoticeable in amongst the rest of the people giving large amounts and, and the show of it. And she walks up to the box, and she puts in two tiny copper coins. And Jesus points her out out of everybody. He says, this woman, she gave more than anybody else did. Just look at the two, two pennies. That's all that she put in. Because, see, generosity isn't about the amount that you give. It's about the sacrifice in your life. The amount of sacrifice and faith that she had to take those two coins, those two copper coins, those two pennies, and say, here, God, I'm giving this to you. That took incredible faith and sacrifice on her end. So I don't want you to sit there and think, but I don't have a lot. She didn't have a lot either. But Jesus didn't point anybody else out. Jesus didn't point out any of the rich people who were putting in lots of money. He pointed out this poor old widowed woman who put in two pennies into the offering. So if you've got that thought and you're thinking, I don't, I don't have much. I, I, can't, I can't really be generous. But I want you to take that thought and I want you to take it captive. Paul also writes in Corinthians, we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because that is not God's thoughts in your head. You're thinking, I don't have a lot to be generous with. It's not about the amount. It's about the sacrifice. You know, there are too many people that receive a harvest from God, and instead of giving it, they eat it. They mistake their seed for bread, and they eat it. Don't eat your seed. God provides bread to eat and seed to sow. That's finances to meet your need, and then extra so that you can be generous with. So the, how do you know the difference between what is seed and what is bread? We have to be wise. We have to be able to discern to know what's bread and what's seed. What is God giving me that meets my need? And what is he giving me that I can give and be generous with? It takes wisdom. It takes stewardship. It takes a strong relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it takes wise counsel. Wisdom. Wisdom is simply applied knowledge. 
what do I do with what I just received, the harvest I received? What do I do based on what I know? That's wisdom. Stewardship. Am I actually stewarding well what I've been given, or am I overspending? Am I being wasteful? Am I up to my, my eyes in debt, so to speak? And I, I, I literally, I can't do anything. What is Holy Spirit saying to me? Is he saying, sow that seed. Take what I just gave you and sow it. Or is he saying, hold on to that. That's bread. That's for your needs. And then who do I trust? I come back to this again. We have to have people in our lives that we trust. Who, and it's almost like, who do I trust more than myself? That I can ask the question, hey, I just received this harvest. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a bonus check from work or unexpected income. I just, I just received this. I want to talk this through. What should I do with this? Should I, should I give? Should I give it away? Or, and, and who do I have in my life that I trust to give me feedback and advice about my financial situation? See, when I'm obedient to his voice and I consistently sow seed and I'm generous, then I can expect to see a harvest come back into my life. And when the harvest comes into your life, well, that's when you celebrate. See, celebration comes after the harvest. See, when we live our lives with an open hand and God can easily put resources into our hand and he can easily funnel resources and move resources from our hand to other people, this is partnering with God. This is partnering with God in meeting needs and being provision to someone else's life. See, God works through you and I to move finances and resources around to those people that need it. We get to be a part of God's plan of provision for someone else's life. When I was in college, when Renee and I were in college, we served in a youth ministry. And this, one time this youth ministry, they had, a, they had a retreat. And so they rented out part of a hotel. And, and we went to, this, went to this retreat as leaders. And the speaker that came in um, to, to, to minister to the students that weekend, one of the sessions, he talked about finances. And he talked about money to students who, generally speaking, don't have a lot of money. But he was, he was establishing something into their, in their lives. And so the main part of, the main thought of his message was this. That if you allow, that God will, will move finances around to people that have need. If we are obedient with him and we listen to what he's saying to us, then God will funnel the finances from our life to the people that have needs and the people that need them. So he taught this whole message and then he said this to a group of students and, and leaders, and most of the leaders were college students. They said, I want, he said, I want you to take money out. I don't care how much it is. Just take money and put, have money in your hand, whatever, whatever you feel like you want to take out. So everybody moved around. They went to their backpacks. Everybody pulled out their wallet. Everybody had something in their hand, whether it was just some coins or it was some bills. And then he said this. I'm going to show you how this works. And he prayed. And he said, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to every person here and that you would tell them who they should give that money to. And then he said, go. And he said, I want every one of you to be obedient to what you heard the Lord say and move around the room and give that money to whoever it is that God told you to give it. And then he just stepped back. And it was incredible to watch people in that room have needs met that they hadn't told anybody that they had. These were, these were financial needs of students, financial needs of leaders, and the finances in that room funneled to the people that needed it the most. And then the, then, and then the other thing, so then you've got the people who are having their financial needs met, they're celebrating, they're excited, this is wild, this was unexpected, nobody thought this was something like this was going to happen. And then on the other side, you've got the people who are moving the money around the room and they're just as excited because they were a part of that person's provision and helping to meet that need. 
It was an incredible demonstration of people being used to move resources around to where God wants to put it and to where God said there's need here. See, when we are generous and obedient, we give. We become part of God's plan of provision. When we're part of God's plan of provision, my seed is someone else's harvest. I'm giving my seed, and that's harvest for someone else because that harvest is meeting a need that they have. And when that need is met, Paul writes and he says that they begin, that thanksgiving begins to well up inside of them. They give thanksgiving and they give praise to Jesus. Did you realize that your generosity creates an atmosphere of worship? When you give and you're generous, your generosity creates this atmosphere of worship in someone else's life where they're giving thanks to God for having their need met and they begin to worship and give praise to Him. I don't know if you realize that your generosity had that much power attached to it. This is the celebration of harvest. It's thanksgiving. And it's worship to Jesus. But not only does your generosity meet somebody else's need, but it also facilitates prayer. It facilitates prayer in your life. Because Paul says as you give and those people receive that, that, that harvest into their life, not only are they giving thanksgiving to God and worship to Jesus, but there's love that's growing and swelling up inside of them. And as that love grows and swells up inside of them, it spills out of them as prayer for you. And they start praying for you as the one that gave, as the one that was generous to help meet that need. So your giving not only facilitates worship, but it also facilitates people praying for you. We don't fully comprehend the impact of generosity. And I think it's because we can't see it from God's perspective. Right, when, I, when I'm generous, m- most of the time when I'm generous, this is all I, this is all I see. The offering's coming. offering goes by that way, or I send a donation to an organization, or I give towards a missionary, and this is the only aspect of generosity that I see. I'm giving. I'm sowing. I see the harvest come back into my life, but how often do we actually get the opportunity to see the impact that my generosity, my seed that I gave made into somebody else's life? Every once in a while, we get a glimpse out of this. Every once in a while, we have the opportunity to see what our generosity did in someone else's life. And it really, it's incredible to watch the expression on someone else's face, just how they're they're seeing their needs met by by God in that moment. And they begin to worship Him. They begin to give thanks. And if it's a desperate need, there's tears flowing, right? It's it's incredible. But we don't often get to see that, but God, God sees that. Because he sees you here giving and he's watching the seed as it's being planted. And he sees it, it's going over here to where there's a missionary on the other side of the world that, that has a family that they, they need to provide for because they have nobody. And your seed makes its way through the world. It gets to that missionary and it's like, oh man, I've got the resources that I can put a roof over your head. I can put, a, I can put food on your table. And let me tell you how that happened. His name is Jesus. See, God watches all of that take place and we just... We really just see the the giving and the harvest that comes back to us. See, the Passion Translation calls calls it this. God's astonishing gift, which is far too great for words. That's what generosity is. Generosity is God's astonishing gift, which is far too great for words. We should be excited every time we can give. 
every time we have the opportunity to be generous. Right? That's, that's hilarious generosity. It's so much bigger than just money. Today I want us to expand what we see about offering, about giving of finances. It goes beyond your finances. It goes beyond generosity. It goes to the heart. It goes to partnering with Jesus. Plant, harvest, celebrate, and repeat. So I challenge, I leave you with this, I challenge every one of us today to grow in your generosity. It doesn't matter how generous you already are, grow in it. Right, that's what God wants us to do. Always grow, always bearing, you know, bearing more fruit, always maturing. So wherever you're at in your, in, your, in your walk of generosity, your journey of generosity, understand where you are and then grow. Do the hard work to grow. Give a little bit more. Pastor Craig, it's, if I give a little bit more, then I'm going to have to sacrifice over here. It's okay. Sacrifice over here. Give a little bit more. I won't be able to go out for dinner. That's okay. Make, make dinner at home, but just give a little more over here. It's a little healthier for you sometimes if you make dinner at home anyway. So just, just give a little bit more. Partner with God. Challenge yourself in your generosity. And just watch what God will do. Feel the joy in your generosity. It shouldn't be a burden to give. We should feel the feelings of God as we give. Because when you give, he's smiling down on you. Because you're partnering with him. He goes, oh, that's my son. Oh, that's my daughter. Look, we're working together. We're doing it together. You have no idea what's about to happen. You might never know what's about to happen. Until you step onto the other side of eternity. And Jesus says, look, look at what your generosity did. Look at what we were able to do together. As he brings harvest into your life, give again and give more. I would even challenge you with this. Dream with Jesus of an, a ridiculous amount that you would like to give. Just something completely ridiculous. Like, Jesus, one day I would love to be able to give in one check, one one act of generosity an entire year's wage. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, who can, who can do that? I don't know. But, like, dream with him. And I'm not saying take that one, maybe. Maybe it's, maybe it's I want to give a day's wage. One, I want to give an entire day's wage away at one time. But just dream with him. And say, God, I want to make this happen. I want to partner with you. You facilitate whatever you need to facilitate in my life to make that happen. Because for some of you, that's going to take a new job. For some of you, that's going to take God releasing innovation or invention over your life or a new business. Some, some it's just going to take faith and stretch and sacrifice. Because you are meeting the needs of other people and you are causing worship and celebration to rise up to Jesus. And you are facilitating prayer over your own life by people that you might not ever even meet. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are a giver. And that every day I experience, we experience your generosity. Help us to recognize your generosity. And sometimes there are times in life when finances are tight and finances are short. And we find ourselves in terrible, difficult situations. Even in those situations, I pray that you would open our eyes to your generosity and how you are giving to us and how you are providing. And I pray, God, whatever 
our life situation is, our financial situation is, I pray that we would be challenged to grow in our generosity in partnering with you in being provision for someone else's life. And that we would feel your feelings of hilarious generosity in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.